Good morning. Good to see you. It was a few months ago, and the sky was perfectly blue, not a cloud anywhere. I was outside at home doing something, and all of a sudden, I remembered someone who had died, a friend of mine, who died a few years ago. I I don't even know why he came to mind, but he did. And as I was remembering him and reflecting upon our relationship, I just suddenly felt compelled to look into the sky, and I said, where are you? Where are you? Where do people go when they die? You know, life is just so mysterious. We, we receive the breath of life from God, and we breathe in and out this beautiful gift. And we have that one minute, and and then the next minute, it can be gone. It's released back to God, and and the breath of life ceases, the heart stops beating, the body becomes lifeless. What's next? Where, Where do they go? Where are those loved ones that you just miss so desperately? Where are they right now? Where are they? The conversation was a little bit confusing. It was brief. It was somewhat playful. She said, I want to go to heaven when I die, but I don't want to stay there. Her friend was a little puzzled, maybe just a little miffed at that, and said, what? You heard me. I want to go to heaven when I die, but I don't want to stay there. My wife is Kedra, and Kedra's father died nearly four years ago, and he was a good man, very interesting guy. He graduated uh, with an engineering degree from the University of Alabama in the early 60s and immediately went to work for NASA. And so if you've seen the movie Hidden Figures, you have a, a good glimpse of what his early career was like, and he spent his whole career at NASA. And so it was an exciting time in our country, and though he was a rocket scientist, you didn't want to ride in the car with him. Though he was a rocket scientist, you would never know it. He's probably the humblest guy I've ever met. He was just so quiet. He was very soft-spoken. He was a true Southern gentleman. He was a dedicated, devoted disciple of Christ, a beloved son of God, and he knew it, and it was just, it was just a beautiful, obvious thing. When he died... I think it's what Celtic Christians would call a thin place. For more than a thousand years, Celtic Christians believe there's this veil between heaven and earth that's about three feet thick. But in thin places, the veil is worn and maybe even torn and porous to the point that you can look through it and and get a glimpse of heaven. It's often used to describe awesome, breathtaking places in nature that are just so beautiful you feel like you've encountered God. But thin places are also things and times where we get a glimpse of the transcendent, get a a glimpse of God. It's, It's those times and places where we experience the holy in the midst of the common. Death and dying are so mundane, so common, so painful, so ugly. But faith transforms death into something sacred, something holy, 
Watching someone die is such a weird experience and a mixture of the mundane and the holy, the common and the sacred. And for me, there have been a few times when someone dying and watching them die becomes a thin place. It becomes holy ground, becomes quite sacred. In room 107 of a hospice in Huntsville, Alabama, we experienced a thin place where you could almost see God and almost see into heaven. My father-in-law had been unresponsive for quite a long time, and, and then all of a sudden, he opened his eyes wide, and he looked straight at his wife of 57 years, as if to say, I love you, it's going to be okay, and goodbye until we meet again. He then closed his eyes, and immediately a hospice nurse came running from the nurse's station. She had the voice of an angel. That's how she was described, and she literally sang over my father-in-law, amazing grace, and I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. Shortly thereafter, Kedra's dad passed to the hereafter. It was holy ground. It was, a, it was a thin place. Where did he go? Where is he now? By faith, I believe he went to be with the Lord. I believe he is in heaven but can I tell you, after a lot of study and rethinking over the last several years, I don't think he'll stay in heaven. I don't think he wants to stay in heaven. I, I think we all want to go to heaven, but we really won't want to stay there when it's all said and done. So today we finish up our year-long Core 52 journey by talking about heaven. Randy Alcorn in his best-selling book called Heaven it says, when we die, if we're followers of Christ, we will go to heaven, but we won't stay there. We'll go to be with the Lord in heaven, but we won't stay there. And I think he's right. There are numerous scriptures that talk about followers of Jesus going to be with the Lord when they die, and he's in heaven. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul talks about our bodies and, and, and the struggles that we have in them. We have burdens and we, and we groan because our bodies are mortal and we, we long for immortality. And he, he goes back and forth talking about that struggle that we have. And, and he sums up the conversation by saying this, we are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Now, he gets really personal when he writes to the Philippians. You know, he's in prison. He, he is unsure if he's going to be executed or not. Is he going to be released or executed? He doesn't know. So he goes back and forth about the benefits of each. And, and he reveals this internal struggle that he has. And, and he says this. He says, for to me, living means living for Christ. Dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between the two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be 
far better for me. A little later, he, he reminds of Philipp, the people of Philippi who are just a little too proud, I think, of their Roman earthly citizenship. He reminds them, look, your true allegiance, your true citizenship is in heaven where the Lord is. He says this, we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior he will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. So, so Paul says, Jesus is in heaven. That's where he lives now. That's where Christ's followers go when they die. They go to be with the Lord. But Paul also says that Jesus will not stay in heaven. He will return. And when he returns, lots of things are going to happen, including a bodily resurrection and a transformation of all who have died. More about that in just a little bit. At death, when our souls go to be with the Lord, what, what's that like? Do we have any idea what that's like? What, what's your loved one experiencing right now? Please know that there's a lot of mystery in this, a lot of stuff we don't know, but there are some things that God has revealed through Scripture that we do know, and what we do know is very interesting to me. It's very exciting, and it's very encouraging. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says he had some kind of experience, a vision or a revelation from God. He says, I don't know if I was in the body or if it was an out-of-body experience. Only God knows. But he goes on to say that he was caught up to paradise and, and that he heard inexpressible things. That always struck me that he heard. I assume he saw them too, but I wonder if his vision is still impaired from that Damascus experience. Regardless, he says, what I, what I saw through that vision, what I heard in that vision is astounding. It's, it's beyond what I can say in words. I can't describe it to you. Just wow, just wow. Now, it's interesting, Paul says he was caught up into paradise, giving us a glimpse of what it might be like for those who have died in the Lord. It also makes me think of something that happened when Jesus died. You remember that there were uh, two guys crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And you remember one of them started giving Jesus a really hard time, mocking him, making fun of him. But the other one said, stop, just stop it. And then he said, Jesus. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. So Jesus says to this horrible sinner who believes, believes something about Jesus, he says, when you die today, it's going to be okay. We'll be together in paradise. Paradise. It shows up twice in these glimpses of the hereafter, where some of our loved ones are. Paul says he saw it, he heard it. Jesus said he was going there and the thief could come too, based on the slimmest amount of faith. Do you know what paradise means in the Greek? It means a beautiful park, a profoundly pleasant place. It means a garden. A garden, And this causes some of us to think there are hints of a glorious, perfect past where God walked 
in the garden before sin came into the world? Could it be that our future as Christ followers is going to be like that glorious, perfect past, like the Garden of Eden restored? Is that what people who, who have died in Christ are experiencing right now in paradise? Are they, are they awake? Are they alert? Are they conscious? Do they know what's going on? Do they know who they are? Are they experiencing inexpressible joy? There's a passage in Luke 16, which is probably a parable, that gives us another glimpse into the hereafter, describes two men who die. One of them goes to a place that seems to be consistent with what we would think about as paradise. While the other one who has rejected God and, and has rejected God's ways ends up in a place that's just the opposite of paradise. It's a hell-like place. The key takeaway for us from this passage today is that both of them are conscious. Both of them are alert. Both of them are aware. Both of them retain their earthly identity. They know who they are. They know who they are. One last idea about this intermediate state of heaven before we move on to our final destination. This one requires a little bit of informed imagination. Writing to a discouraged, mildly persecuted, challenged people, the writer of Hebrews reminds them about those who have gone on before. And Sean talked about this last week. This great cloud of witnesses. It's probably those listed in Hebrews 11, the hall of fame of faith. These people who have gone on before, he says, are basically cheering you on. I think he has more in mind than just the ones listed in Hebrews 11. I think he has in mind those, of, those loved ones. And maybe now it includes ours who are a part of this great cloud of witness who somehow, some way, are cheering us on. And so he reveals that when we come to worship like this, there's a whole lot more going on than what we can see. You can look out and see people around you, but there are a lot of things, I believe, going on that you can't see. When we come to worship as a gathered people, heaven meets us here. It's a mysterious intersection of, of heaven and earth. In Hebrews, he contrasts the old covenant with the new covenant, and the writer says some things about, I believe he's talking about the worship assembly. You remember back in chapter 10, verse 25, he says, don't forsake the assembly of yourselves together. Don't neglect to gather. Don't, don't neglect to, to worship together. And so he's told them that already. He says, now I want to reframe worship for you in chapter 12. And I think that's what he's doing. And, and this is what he says. He says, you have come to Mount Zion when you gather. You've come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in joyful gathering. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself who is a judge over all things. You have come to the spirits of righteous ones in heaven who have now been made perfect. You've come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and his people. Now, I've, I've studied this a lot, and, and I'd like for you to do the same. And if you do, I, I think you'll come to the same conclusion that something very special goes on when we gather to worship. Angels gather with us as we come in to encounter God. Jesus gathers with us to commune. You remember what he said before he died? And so he's here. 
He's communing with you this morning when you take the bread and, and, and the juice and remember his body and blood. And it seems to me that what he is saying is that also loved ones gather with us today. People who have died in Christ, who are now with him in heaven, maybe they're present with us. Wow. Now, to me, all that's very interesting. It's very exciting. It's very encouraging. But I'm going to tell you, it's temporary. It's not going to stay like this. We will not stay in heaven. There's, there's more to come, and it just gets better. Now, I'll be the first to tell you that all the stuff that's going to happen in the future is a little fuzzy, a lot fuzzy at times, but there are some things that are pretty clear that, that God has revealed through Scripture. First of all, we know Jesus will come again. That says over and over and again. And when he does, it's also very clear that there will be a bodily resurrection. And those who have died will be raised, re-embodied, and readied for eternity. Jesus said, don't be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. Those who are alive when Jesus returns will also be transformed, receiving a glorified, resurrected body like Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says this. He says it will happen in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet sounds. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. And all of this is in preparation for our final destination, our eternal dwelling place, which is not heaven, but rather what the Bible describes as the new heaven and the new earth. The book of Revelation, the last book of our Bible, ends with this picture of the new heaven and the new earth. Now, we believe Revelation was written by the Apostle John in the mid-90s during the, the reign of the Emperor Domitian. Domitian rules Rome from 81 to 96. Most of the emperors claimed to be divine to some degree. Some of them took it very seriously. Domitian took it very seriously. He said, I am Lord God Domitian. You must call me that. He erected statues of himself. If you go to the ancient city of Ephesus, you can go to Domitian Square. You can go downtown and see the, the statue that was 20 feet tall. He wanted people to worship him. And when he figured out that Christians would not worship him and, and, and were saying, we have only one Lord, the Lord Jesus, it angered him and persecution breaks out. And so the persecution has a lot of different forms all the way from exile, which is where John, John is experiencing on the island of Patmos in the Aegean Sea. He's been exiled for his faith. It's, it's that kind of thing. And it's also to the point that people are being decapitated. They're being beheaded because they refuse to bow down to Domitian. Well, you can imagine how Christians were wondering, well, what are we supposed to do? Why? Why is this going on? And so Revelation, 
I believe, is written to define the reality, which is very difficult, to define the reality they're facing, to say there's more going on than you can see about it, and at the same time, to provide hope. There's hope. Even in a difficult reality, there's a future that is very, very hopeful. So written in Jewish apocalyptic language, I believe the main point of Revelation is don't compromise. Be faithful to the point of death and I'll give you the crown of life, Jesus says. If you have to die for your faith, die because it's the way to go. It will usher you into the presence of God. Even if you have to die at the hand of a Roman soldier's sword, it's okay because we will eventually dwell with God in the new heaven and the new earth. I'm gonna take a quick trip through Revelation and we'll finally stop at our final destination, new heaven, new earth. So John has this stunning view of God in chapter one. And he's so taken aback that he passes out. He says, I became like a dead man. He fainted because it was just so overwhelming. And so he comes to, and, and then Jesus dictates seven letters to the seven churches of Asia Minor, which is in Western Turkey. You can go, you can go to see those places today if you want. And then he begins this journey. He sees an open door in heaven where our loved ones are. He says, after this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard, speaking to me like a trumpet, said, come up here, and I'll show you what must take place after this. So can you imagine this? John goes up and he looks through this open door into heaven. What does he see? The first thing he sees is God is on the throne and it's just unbelievable. The beauty, the majesty, it's, it's just almost beyond description. But the key point is that God in all of his glory is on the throne. He's in control. And then he sees the drama play out that, that has the the Lamb of God who has been slain for our sins. He sees that. And then he sees myriads of angels, thousands upon thousands of angels worshiping and singing. Then he sees a great multitude innumerable from every nation, tribe, people, language, standing before the throne of God and before the Lamb, red, yellow, black, and white. They're all there. And then maybe, to me, one of the most significant things is in chapter 6, he sees the souls. He sees the souls of those who have been beheaded. Where are they? They're under the altar. They're about as close to God as you can get. It's encouraging. And so he goes on and he sees lots of things as good and evil. God and Satan work through God's plan, which is often confusing and sometimes troubling. And then finally, John sees how it all ends. This is your future. This is my future. Then I saw the new, a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne of God saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them. 
and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Man, could you imagine this? So Jesus is going to return. And if we are in heaven, we'll return with him. 1 Thessalonians 4.14. If we're here and we're still alive when it happens, we'll, we'll be transformed and we will join in this new refurbished heaven and earth, which I think will be an Eden-like paradise with perfect city qualities Golden tree-lined streets without potholes. There'll be no more faith. What? There'll be no more hope. What? You don't need them anymore. You're in the presence of God. Love will remain and envelop everything. What will it be like? Well, Revelation 21 and 22, read it. Use your imagination. It's hard to say exactly, but we No, it will be far better than what we experience here. It will be all the beauty and the wonderful things of earth and all the beauty and the wonderful things of love without the negative stuff that goes with those sometimes. We will be totally holy, holy in the presence of holy God. We will worship. I believe we will also work and we'll create and we'll play and we'll learn, we'll explore and we'll enjoy it all to the fullest extent. There'll be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, no more fussing, no more fighting, no more broken bones, no more broken homes, no more abuse or misuse of any kind, no more racism, nationalism, or division of any kind, no more sin, no more sorrow. The lion, the lamb, the elephant, and the donkey, they'll all get along. No night, just the bright light of God's love. Just go on and on in your mind and imagine all the things that you wish you didn't experience here. Gone. Gone. The new heaven and earth will not have those things. Mark Moore imagines what will be there. This is the one that intrigues me. Uh, The saints of old will get to talk to Abraham and Sarah, Ruth and Rahab, David and Deborah, Mary and Joseph, Peter and Paul, Mary Magdalene, Lydia, Euodia, Syntyche, Titus, and Timothy, on and on. We could go, and I think we'll sit down with them at these banquet tables, and we'll talk and share stories and listen to their stories that that we have no idea about. And it will all just be glorious. I believe our loved ones will meet us there. Grandpas and grandmas, sons and daughters, mothers and fathers. Who do you want to see? If they follow Christ and you're doing the same, then I think it's going to happen. I believe it's going to happen. We'll share stories, we'll dream dreams, and we'll do wonderful things as expressions of worship. The main thing is we'll see Jesus. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in all of you be still? Will I stand in your presence or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. And I can hardly wait. But as I wait, I pray a prayer, a prayer of hope. And I want you to pray it with me, okay? I really want you to pray this with me. Our Father in heaven. I don't hear anything. Ready? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So while we wait, we strive to bring the future into the present, pointing with hope to a glorious day that will never end. What do I want you to take with you today? I want you to take with you what I'm going to take, and that is this is just encouraging. It's just encouraging to think about and gives me hope during difficult times. Do you know Jesus today? Don't you want to go to heaven and then not stay there? Don't you want to be in the new heaven and the new earth forever? Jesus is the way. So you put your faith in him. You turn away from all the things that just are not going to save you. And you reenact his death, burial, and resurrection in the waters of baptism. You can do that today. Right over here. Right now if you want. So let's pray. God, thank you for uh, these encouraging words that you provide to us about life and death and life beyond. And we look forward to that day that we're in your presence fully and finally. And just uh, keep us faithful, keep us strong, keep us full of hope as we long to see you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.